Good morning, Steve Thompson in for Susie Jones on Your Money. And if you have a financial question for Peg or Bruce, call this number 24-7, 1-888-6-ADVICE. That's 888-6-ADVICE. You can email your question to your money at wealthenhancement.com. You can also call or text our studio line and the number is 651-461-9226. Now here is Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor Peg Webb and the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group and Financial Advisor Bruce Helmer. Good morning, everybody. Hey, Steve. Hi, Peg. Hey. Steve, good to be with you, buddy. Yeah, good to be with you, Bruce and Peg. It's a chilly morning. I hope you're warm today. <laughs> I don't know if there is anywhere warm in Minnesota today. <laughs> uh, hey, it's good to hear your voice. I know we haven't seen each other face-to-face in a really long time because of the pandemic, but uh, it's good to be with you on the radio at least. Hey, Steve, Peg and I today, and, and Peg, we're, we're, we're going to talk about, you know, there's an old expression, cash is king, and we're going to talk about cash flow. And Peg, I guess just the, the 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 basic premise to start with, and it seems really simple, but yet millions of Americans are guilty of not doing it. What whatever you earn on your job, whatever you take in, it's a good idea to spend less than what you earn and not spend more than what you earn, or not have negative cash flow. You want to shoot for positive cash flow, and it's and it's. It sounds kind of silly to even have to say that, but it's true. Millions of Americans have negative cash flow. They're buying things uh, that they can't afford. They're spending more than they bring in. They're running up balances on credit cards and bad debt. And you know, so that's part of what we're going to talk about today, cash flow, but positive cash flow, and why cash is important in your life. The other thing that happens, and I'll let you jump in, Peg, a lot of people talk about cash, and they say, well, interest rates have been so low so long. I don't want any money in cash because it doesn't earn anything. But you and I don't agree with that. In fact, I had somebody in this last week that had a, a pretty significant amount of money, and they were talking about investing it with us. And I hope it's a demonstration of my integrity and credibility. And that I told them, I think you have enough money invested, but you don't have any safe money or short-term money in cash, I really think you should just keep that money in cash right now. So let's talk about cash. Why is cash important? Why is cash positive cash flow important? Why indeed, Peg, is cash flow king? Yeah, thanks, Bruce. That's a really good introduction to what we're talking about today. And if you don't mind, I would like to go right to the comment you made about the person that said, I've got all this cash, I need to invest it, and I love how you mentioned, I think you have enough growth in your portfolio that cash should be cash. And the reason I want to talk about this first and foremost, yes, we are talking about cash flow today, not so much the percentage of cash that you have in your portfolio, but I have to tell you, Bruce, I am getting more than one call a day from clients that say, It is driving me insane that I am making zero on my cash. There has got to be something out there that I can make money on my money. And by the way, not lose a penny of it. So I want the safety of all those dollars. 
I want no volatility, but I want a good rate of return. And what I comment back is, actually right now, there is no magic for cash. But here's where, uh, here's the conversation I have, and actually the clients are very content when I tell them this. The reason that there isn't any money on your cash is because the stock market is going crazy. Look at the percentage that you've earned on your growth side of your portfolio. That's what it is. It's a portfolio made up of growth and income and safety. Well, if you are in your right allocation, and this goes back to what you said, Bruce, you, you, you witness they're in the right allocation for you know, their values and their goals and all of that, then you have to blend your rate of return on your entire portfolio for contentment. Because what's happening, Bruce, is people want to pull out that one uh, sleeve that's in their cash. And even though they're making double digits on other asset classes, they want to make money on that too. And they actually feel like they're not a good investor if they don't make sure they're making money on all their money. So just wanted to take the time to say, are you happy with the average overall return that you've earned in the last couple of years? Part of that is your cash, but we all need some kind of safety. And that will lead me into cash and cash flow is really king. Do you have anything to add to that, Bruce? Yeah, just really quick, and I and, and I know we say it a lot, but I don't think we can say it too often. Peg, I think the reason that people feel that way is too many people, and frankly, probably too many people in our industry, are shooting for the highest rate of return possible. Well, that's not our goal. That's never been our goal. Our goal is to work with each client individually, and everybody's different. Everybody has you know, I always say we're like snowflakes. No two people are exactly alike. When we want to retire, what that retirement looks like, where we're going to spend our money, are we going to be charitable, are we going to help our kids, are we going to help our grandkids, are we going to have a vacation home, how much are we going to travel, all those things differ for everybody. But we try to determine what's the bogey or what's the dollar amount that you need in your nest egg to be able to live the way you want to and not have to worry about running out of money. And then we try to determine what is the average rate of return you need per year to get to that benchmark or to get to So our investment portfolios or our investment advice is not to try to get the highest rate of return possible. It's to try to get the rate of return that you need to achieve success based on your measuring stick and to get that rate of return with the least amount of risk possible. And that's why it's okay to have some money not earning much. Again, I, I know cat, I always tell people cash doesn't earn much, but it also doesn't go backwards. It's liquid. It's there when you need it. And everybody needs some of it. How much you need is going to vary, again, from person to person. So that's to start with. I'm glad you, you went into that. Our definition of cash and now cash flow and why cash flow is so important. Yeah, cash and cash flow <clears throat> is kind of like the water in a moat. Like I've been to Europe, right? It's surrounding your financial well-being where the water around these castles were, you know, protecting my home, protecting my, um, my safety. And that is exactly what cash and cash flow does. 
it's there is a quote alan miltz an author and corporate finance expert who advises bank ceo says it best i think revenue is vanity profit is sanity but cash flow is king and it's essential that you have some cash in your personal financial plan and we always do because it can actually help defend that castle i just talked about against unexpected expenses, um, overspending, opportunities. Let's not forget opportunities. And it'll, it'll, um, it'll actually make you sleep at night. So today we want to talk about five independent um, ways to be independent of, for, for your cash flow planning. So the five are goal setting, setting up an emergency fund, creating personal financial statements, recording expenses, and uh, communication with your loved ones. Have somebody else be on the same page that you are. So Bruce, what I thought I'd do is, in, with your help, is to kind of generalize and walk through these. Yeah, please. Well, let's actually start with goal setting, which um, actually seems to be one of my favorites, right? To, to me, it's the WDIW. What do I want? That you can walk around life all year, and actually my husband it gets the credit for this, because ever since I've known him, 40-some years now, he's like, WDIW, WDIW, what do I want? And what, what, what goals actually do is it just helps trigger some new behavior. So here it is. It's the beginning of the year. And if you don't actually know what you want, you know, how can you actually get what you want or maintain what you want? So it, it, it triggers these new behaviors, which in a lot of cases, Bruce, when we meet clients, we actually kind of do have to trigger some new behavior and some ways of thinking because Face it, the people who come into us have some biases already. Um, also, goals actually keep you very focused on the end result. And then it, they actually gain momentum in your life. I mean, I would say personally, I have to have them to wake up every day and go, okay, here I go. And, and actually, it's been more difficult with COVID. I'm so used to getting dressed up, going into the office, talking to people all day face-to-face. -face. And for people like me who love people, this is difficult to get that momentum and maintain that momentum. So, so that's why goals are important, Bruce. Yeah, and goal setting, we talk, again, we talk about it a lot, but I don't think we can do it too often. We, we both talked about how some people come in and we talk about goals and they, and they have them and they rattle them off and you can tell it's almost like they have a vision board at home and they see it in their mind's eye what they want. Those people are going to tend to be, uh, it's more likely that they're going to be successful because um, they've already kind of know where they want to go. Other times when we, when we mention this, you get the deer in the headlights, and that's when I think it's our job to help them determine what their goals are and what's important to them. And I'd be remiss if I didn't say that all of this is based on core values. What's important to you? What makes you tick? That's going to help you set and define your goals. And those goals are going to help you in all areas of personal finance, including cash flow. Yeah, like early retirement. Do I want a second home? Do I want to help my kids, grandkids with college? Do I want to pay off my debt? We get 
unlimited radio show questions every single day at Wealth Enhancement Group. And, and that's the fun of it. So number two is emergency funds. So generally, we advise that people have at least six months of liquid assets in their emergency fund. Why? Well, that cash emergency fund will help you if there's the aha thing that just start just happened. Or maybe your friends called you and said, hey, I want to go on this vacation. Do you want to come with? I mean, it doesn't have to be a roof repair, a car repair, something super boring. It's money that you have just set aside for the un- unknown. So I think we all know that. And then another source that some clients use as an emergency fund is a home equity line of credit. So a lot of times they'll have a bigger line at the bank and they know that if something did happen, they've also got that um, resource. The big one, Bruce, is number three, personal financial statements. I can't tell you how much people need clarity on where everything is. What's your financial picture? What, 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 do you have a tool that you're organizing or do you just walk around with everything in your head? Um, our belief is everybody needs a financial statement. Well, Wealth Enhancement Group, when people come in, it's not common that people have everything written down. Uh, so we do it for them. We, we create their you know, uh, positives and their negatives and their liabilities, and, and we help them build that. And actually, Bruce, uh, we, had, we just uh, deployed a new portal on our website on wealthenhancement.com for our clients. And that portal shows what assets the client has at Wealth Enhancement Group, all organized. And then it has the ability for the client to go in and put their house value and any other liabilities and any other assets they have outside our company. So that's one way to get organized is uh, to get help. Or there's software like um, Mint. I use Mint, you know, for downloading assets on a daily basis and knowing uh, day to day what uh, the cash flow is and what I'm spending. Now, I just hit it on the head what's actually coming in and what's going out. You mentioned this, Bruce, in the beginning, but it's really important that you know if you're upside down and sooner than later uh, and and can rectify it than just kind of living through life hoping that you're going to have enough money one day to be able to retire. Yeah, a couple thoughts, Peg. And again, one of these, my first one goes back a little bit. Something you said about five minutes ago, I just realized I wanted to jump on it. You said the word opportunity, and as I'm looking at our outline, that's not on there. And I'm really glad that you said that because opportunity and cash flow, it could be an opportunity to take a -a once-in-a-lifetime trip or something unforeseen. We always talk about life throwing curveballs at us. And when I say curveball, I often say it with a negative connotation, but, but it could be a good curveball, just something unexpected, not planned, an opportunity that you didn't foresee, or a business opportunity. I've told this story before, at least to some people. At one point in my life, I did not have cash, and a business opportunity or an investment opportunity came about that I wanted to participate in, and I either had to sell some of my existing investments and pay taxes, 
or I had to pass on the opportunity because I didn't have the cash. So I passed, and it ended up being a moonshot, and I still kicked myself for not doing it. And I, I vowed I'd never miss an opportunity again just because I didn't have the cash to invest in it. So with these things that we're talking about, it's not just talk. We practice what, what we preach. I, I do these things. Same with goal setting. I want to go back to that just really briefly. Um, I actually, last week, part of my day, I spent personal growth goal setting for 2022. You and I talk all the time. We both do this religiously. And then coincidentally, Saturday, I had a phone call with a, I, I kind of have a quarterly phone call with a good friend of mine, business colleague that lives in Texas. And just coincidentally, I said, what are you doing the rest of the day? He goes, my afternoon is going to be spent on my personal growth and goal setting for this year. So, so he does that too. So I think people that are financially successful do these things that we're talking about. This isn't laboratory or, or professorial stuff. This is real life stuff that we do and we see other people do and it works. Yeah, and I think that organization, not everyone has that makeup within them, but people ask for help. So it's really, do, do you have that in yourself or do you hire somebody you know, to get you to the level where you feel confident that, number one, you're organized, you know, ins and outs of cash flow, you know, your uh, net worth statement. And, and I want to go, I want to talk about that for a minute, because the audience may not say, I, I don't know what you're talking about, this financial inventory, this net worth worksheet. Uh, what are you talking about? Well, basically, what you're doing is, what do you own? I mean, what cash is liquid? What do you have on hand, like in your checking and savings account? And then, you know, what other large assets do you have? Do you have market value in your home? So it's taking your home, listing your mortgage. Do you have vehicles? Do you have household items? Do you have a rental place? Do you have, you know, then you've got all your brokerage statements in your bank accounts. Pile them up, you know, or look online and, and get all the values of those. And then any other assets, you might have some silver coins that your great-grandfather left you, you know, anything that has value. And then the liabilities. So you might have a mortgage, you might have a home equity loan. We've got lots of clients that have auto loans. Um, there's still some credit card balances out there that have zero student loans, other liabilities like promises, you know, gifting to somebody, those kinds of things. And then that's total assets minus liabilities, and that's your net worth. And you want to see progress with that. Not that the markets or the value of your investments are going to be positive every single year. I'm not saying that. But you do want to see a trend of being positive, you know, over a, uh, a length of time. Bruce? Yeah, um, yeah, and Steve, well, I'm, we're watching the clock. I know we've only got a couple minutes, but this idea of a, of a personal financial statement to determine your net worth, Peg, again, I, I, I can't even make this stuff up. One of the things on my list for this week on my agenda 
is to update. Now, at Wealth Enhancement Group, this tool, we actually call it a financial inventory. But one of the things I blocked off on my calendar this week, and I generally do this every year at the beginning of the year, is to update that financial inventory or personal financial statement and compare it to last year's and see you know, how much progress I've made from one year to the next. Uh, I just I know there's a lot of people that don't do that, and, and they don't know, you know, sometimes when we ask them when, they, when they're going to come in for an introductory meeting and we ask them these questions and they don't know the answers, that's not uncommon or atypical, but I have a hard time wrapping my head around that because I'm like, how do you go through life and not know things like, the, you know, your, your cash flow, if it's positive or negative or where your money's going? Um, all these things are things that if people aren't doing it, we help them do that. Um, Steve, let's do this with your permission, sir. Um, when we come back from the break, Peg and I can kind of tie a bow on the, this topic of uh, cash flow as king, and then we'll let listeners with texts and calls try to drive most of the second half if, if they can. Very good. Uh, Peg and Bruce will return in a moment. And here is that phone number if you want to join the conversation here on Your Money, 651-461-9226, 651-461-9226. You can email your question to your money at wealthenhancement.com, or you can call this number 24-7, advice It's your money. Remember, you can call or text the studio at 651-461-9226. You can also email your questions to yourmoney@wealthenhancement.com. And a friendly reminder, 24-7, you can uh, send your questions to Peg or Bruce, and that's 1-888-6-ADVICE. Once again, know to get get involved in the program today. 651-461-9226, and Peg and Bruce, we are going to go right to the phone lines, and of course, uh, Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor Peg Webb and the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group and Financial Advisor Bruce Helmer, and let's start with Kevin on the phone lines. Kevin, uh, good morning. You're on the air with Peg and Bruce. Good good morning, uh, Bruce. I'm a a long-time listener, and I really enjoy your show. Uh, AM Best has downgraded my long-term care insurance to C++. What happens to my policy if the company goes under? They've raised my rates over 200, uh, 200% in the last uh, seven years and threatening to raise it in the future, and I have options to go to. Um, Peg, you want uh, there's a larger question here. It's not just the, uh, the, the rating of the insurance carrier. It's also the, this issue of long-term care premiums going up over time. Um, it's, it's, it's really an important issue, Peg, and there's a couple different roads we can go down here. You want to go first? Sure, I'd be happy to. I'm very familiar with um, the particular insurance company that you are uh, speaking about, but let's just talk about long-term care in general. You know, it is decades old, and it's, and it's a policy that actually assists you if you have some type of long-term care event. That could be assisted living. It could be in-home health care. It could be going into a nursing home. 
Uh, what's happened, and the reason you mentioned 200% increases, is that the insurance companies, um, you know, did usual use, use an actuarial type of uh, guessing as to how to price the policy long ago. Well, what happened is all sorts of things happened. Uh, interest rates have remained really, really low, so the insurance companies didn't make the rate of return on their money that they thought they were going to make. Secondly, they actually really thought that some long-term care uh, policy holders were going to drop their policy and not everybody hang on to them, so they, they priced that in. And then just the, the uh, cost, and uh, of healthcare in general, the, the double-digit uh, costs on things. So not say that that's an excuse, but what I can tell you is in our research, um, in our roundtable, long-term care specialists, is that those policies were super, super cheap when they were purchased, including the one that I own today. And I've also gotten increases on my uh, policy um, since I bought it 12, 14 years ago. So um, what we have witnessed is that uh, and suggested that the clients continue to pay for those policies. Uh, of course, we're looking at their individual circumstances to see if it makes sense both financially and health-wise. But the reason we're doing that too is because if I were to try to get a policy that was anywhere near the features and benefits that these policy ha policies have and with the increases that they've already put in place, I can't touch a new policy for these clients. Um, so the first thing I always go through is, do you think you need the long-term care and do you want to keep it? And then if you don't want to keep it, you know, what does that mean to you and your family? Uh, Bruce, so that's just kind of a highlight of the background to start. Yeah, just really quick, a couple things I'll throw in. I think, um, and and it doesn't help the caller, but if you bought a long-term care policy more recently, I'm not saying your premiums will never go up, but it's less likely because insurance companies actuarially know how to price it better today than they did, you know, 15 years ago. But also, Peg, as you know, a lot of the original policies from you know over a decade ago had unlimited coverage. So the insurance company really didn't even know what their risk exposure was. Now the policies that you buy today will have a defined uh, benefit that, that, that it won't go above a certain dollar amount or time frame. But, but they know what their risk exposure is. They can price it better. That's in addition to all the other good things that you said. And then to the, to the issue of a downgrade of an insurance company rating, I, that, that makes me a little uncomfortable. And, but like you said, I don't know that there's a better option other than just letting the policy go. I don't think you could go to another company and duplicate or replicate what you've got now. Um, so I, I would say, you know, sit down with a long-term care specialist and see what your options are. And maybe you have to dilute your coverage a little bit to make it affordable for you um, with your cash flow. And we're talking about cash flow today. So maybe your cash flow allowed for the premium for long-term care when you started, but because the premium went up 200%, now your cash flow doesn't allow you to keep that same policy. Can you make adaptations to the policy 
so it's still affordable, although it may dilute your coverage a little bit. What options do you have? Um, so I, I would strongly recommend you sit down with a long-term care specialist, and we've got a really good one at Wealth Enhancement Group, but there's other places you can go as well. But that's a tough one, to see your premiums go up, to see your insurance company get downgraded. It puts you in a precarious situation, but there, there, there is the good news is there is probably a solution that makes sense for you. Steve? And Bruce, I do, I do have one oh. more thing that I want to add here because we did do a lot of research on this particular company. And sorry, um, in the, pardon me. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I cut oh, you off. Sorry. In the, in the state of Minnesota, um, where our headquarters is, I, what I would encourage listeners to do is um, the state of Minnesota does have an insurance guarantee fund. And, and, and so clients that have these policies that where the, the uh, insurance company is being downgraded, you know, do your research on what other, um, what other avenues do you have for safety of continuing to pay those premiums? And I know we have listeners in all states, so each state is different. And so I just encourage listeners to do their homework and, and look into that. Let's go to the phone lines, and they are very busy indeed on Your Money with Peg and Bruce today. And let's bring in Kent. Kent, you're on the air. Good morning. Yes, uh, I like Bruce's uh, uh, use of cash, where he had didn't have the cash available for an opportunity. Now, what happens if a person has, let's say, cash uh, in, in a... Uh, FDIC account in a bank, and and let's say that the uh, the wheels kind of come off and the market goes you know way down, and you can use that cash to buy buy things, maybe certain commodities or whatever type of thing. But what happens if you go to the bank and they say, well, I'm making up a number here. You have a hundred thousand in the bank, but we can only give you like fifty thousand or twenty thousand of it right now. But but your FDIC well we can give you an IOU so what it, what is the, the the possibility we think the FDIC means we can go down to the bank and, and get the hundred thousand but I saw somewhere where they can give you an IOU and they don't have to give you the cash uh, when you really want it or need it. Um, was it Ken or Kent? Kent. Kent, thank you, Kent. What Peg? What a thoughtful question. Um, you want to you want to go first? No, you can go first on this one. <laughs> Kent, so where my brain went as you were articulating your question, probably the last time something like that happened goes back to 1929, and that's that's the expression a run on the bank. So a bank is federally insured up to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars per account. But you're right. That doesn't mean that you can necessarily walk in and get your 250. In fact, if you read the fine print of those deals, they they can ask for a certain amount of time. And 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 in 29, when the banks and the economy crashed, there was a there was a panic, and people wanted to go cash out of the banks and get all their money all at once. Well, the banks don't keep that much liquid cash. There's actually a a legal ratio that they have to keep. Uh, cash in terms uh, as a percentage or ratio with the amount of money they borrow. And I'm not a banker, so I don't know exactly what that ratio is. But Kent is exactly right. If, if enough people went to a bank all at the same time, it's possible that the bank doesn't have enough funds to give everybody their money. And that's 
that's you know part of what led to the Great Depression. I don't see anything on our economic horizon right now that would give me any cause for concern about duplicating the Great Depression. The closest we came was back in 2008, primarily 2008. It actually started in 2007, but we went into a huge uh, recession, not just domestic recession, but a global recession. We saw property values, home values plummet, um, and we saw you know a lot of companies uh, in, in financial trouble, and we saw the stock market go down about over 60% over an 18-month period of time from the fall of 07 to the spring of 09. But even in that period, the banks stayed solvent. Um, banks were not fa failing. I mean, there may have been small banks here and there that did, but nothing, it wasn't a, you know, a big story or a big headline. So choosing banks is like choosing investments. You want to do your due diligence. You want to look at the financial strength of the bank. Yes, there's FDIC insurance. But how strong is the financial entity that you're de dealing with, bank or otherwise? How well run are they? Are they innovative? Are they smart? Are they, do they seem to make technological advances and, and find ways to build economies of scale? Those are all things that we look at from an investment standpoint, not just with banks, but a lot of the things we do. Peg, you want to add to that? Yeah, the only thing I would add that was excellent, Bruce, is uh, diversify your portfolio in banks as well. So we encourage our clients, if they are going to have money, maybe you have two or three different banks that you deal with. I know it's easier maybe to have everything at one bank, but might want to diversify. I From agree. Our... I literally have four. No, I, 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 I do business with five different banks. <clears throat> Steve? Steve. All right. Very good. Let's go to our text line for a moment. And this follows up on uh, the topic right at the beginning of the program, cash is king. Uh, how much cash would be appropriate in a portfolio containing $1.1 million? Thanks for the show. Great question. Peg? Yeah. So uh, there isn't a real true percentage that I could just quote and say that everybody should have 1%, 2%, that kind of thing. What we uh, look at is what cash flow need is for this family, and then make sure that we have at least six months of that cash flow in cash ready reserve. It gets more into the discussion, this question as to how much, what is your risk tolerance? Stocks, bonds, real estate, cash, alternatives, uh, percentages, those are all tailored to each client individually. So um, if I were to say, um, you know, each person is, is so unique, Bruce, you usually say they're a snowflake. They really are. And, and so I can't just say, hey, it should be 2%. Bruce? Yeah, the only thing I – but the, the, only, the one thing I would add, Peg, when, when we talk about – and you do this better than I do, actually. You do this better than anybody I know. When you talk about short-term, mid-term, and long-term money, I always think of short-term money as that's the cash. That's the, that's the money that's in some sort of bank depository account with no risk of principal. And we start off, when we talk about short, mid, and long, 
we sort of start off thinking a third, a third, a third. Now, obviously, we will deviate from that based on the individual circumstances of that client. And again, it comes back to desire. You, Peg mentioned risk tolerance, which is obviously part of the process, but also the needed or desired rate of return. What's the, what's the rate of return that's going to give this client the success that they're looking for to achieve their goals and dreams and objectives? And then how do we get that with the least amount of risk possible? That question is going to determine how we go from, uh, you know, from a third, a third, a third, and end up being, you know, 20, 40, 40, or, or 15, 45, 40, or, or whatever. But if you just go a third, a third, a third, that's over 300000 in cash. Now, I don't know if that's too much or not enough. It depends upon the individual circumstances. But I think we sort of start with that thought process, one-third completely safe, one-third moderately invested, one-third aggressively invested, and then we deviate from there as circumstances warrant. Hey, Peg. Yeah. Do you want me to add to that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, if you want, but then also I was going to ask you, um, we jumped right into calls and texts, which is great. I love when listeners drive things, but um, was there anything – from the first half that we didn't get to that you wanted to get to, or at least to kind of wrap up that thought process uh, before we take questions the rest of the way. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Bruce, because I did in the beginning mention these five things, you know, goal setting, setting up an emergency fund, creating these personal financial statements. Four was recording expenses and then communicating with your loved ones. So we didn't elaborate on uh, the last couple but what I will say is when, it, when you talk about recording your expenses, I know people just struggle not knowing where their money went. And it sounds like you might want to use some type of method. Now, I mentioned Mint, and there's so many softwares out there now on the computer that, that can track your credit cards and all your uh, spending and your flows that are coming in. Uh, and you might be just surprised at how well you're actually doing or how many monthly automatics you have coming out where half of them you don't even care about. So it'd be good just to do a cleanup there. And then the reason we mentioned uh, communicating with your loved ones is, is because I think it, if you do have a spouse, it's a good exercise to go through together. I um, am pretty much insistent that if you are a couple and you work with me, that both attend the meetings either virtually or in person. And I feel like that's important because not that you have to have the same goals and aspirations and all of that, but when it comes to your money and it's pooled, you know, we want to make sure that we take each one of your views and values um, into consideration when creating that plan. So that's why we talk about uh, communication, Bruce. Well, yeah, and Peg, I mean, again, everyone listening knows you know, the divorce rate is somewhere near, you know, 50%, give or take a, a, a fraction. And cited as a cause often, one of the major issues is disagreements about money. So communication and being on the same page, again, not that you have to agree about everything, but at least understand your significant other's position and communicate and talk about it. Um, I think, you know, not that we're marriage counselors, um, but, but this, this, it's important and it matters. Steve-O, any other texts or calls? 
We do. Let's go to Carrie. Carrie, you're on the air with Bruce and Peg. Good morning. Thank you for what you're doing. I've, I've been listening for years, and you've been very helpful, and you put it on a level that is easy to understand. My question is, if a person wants or needs help with their finances and are really struggling in life um, but can't afford professional financial help, where do they start and what are their options? And then the other part is, does your company offer any free or discounted programs? Hey, Carrie, thanks for listening and thanks for the kind words. We appreciate that very much. Thank you. Peg? Well, I think first, and uh, in, in our clients have told us stories, and I have personal stories, uh, where people are in this circumstance. And I think that particular person has to not be afraid to ask for help from friends and family, meaning conversations about it. So the first step of even admitting, you know, that your finances are not in great order and you need help, that's where I would start. Then secondly, um, there are services out there that can help people that, you know, want to get a basis for a start. Um, as far as Wealth Enhancement Group, Bruce, I will actually uh, throw that to you. Well, um, I, I, so Kirian listeners, I, I, I totally agree with Peg. Um, and there are programs out there for debt consolidation and whatnot, if that's the issue. Um, and then there's obviously a lot of self-education uh, there's books, and, and, and that shows my age because nobody reads books anymore. They get all their information downloaded uh, online. But, but with regard to Wealth Enhancement Group, um, certain advisors uh, at Wealth Enhancement Group um, might not, might not t- uh, take a meeting with uh, a client or a potential client that, that's struggling. Um, but as a firm, we, we, we won't turn anybody away. And, I, and so... I personally, I'll speak for myself, I take a lot of meetings, if you want to call it like a pro bono meeting like an attorney, where I know there's no profit potential, but I'll try to give them some basic things that after the meeting they can go do that will make their situation better. I just, I, I just think that's the right thing to do. So um, as, a, as a firm, um, we will help anyone that wants our help um, and and. And there's a lot of other places you can go if you're not comfortable doing that. Because, again, I don't want to just do a commercial for Wealth Enhancement Group. Steve-O, I know we're up against the clock. You, were, you did an awesome job, buddy. Thank you. Yes, and Bruce and Peg, always great. Peg Webb, Bruce Helmer, it's your money. Here's that number, 24-7, 1-888-6-ADVICE. 1-888-6-ADVICE. You, you can uh, ask your questions at Peg or Bruce 24-7, or you can email your question to your money at wealthenhancement.com. Once again, Bruce Helmer, Peg Webb, and your money.